Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You know what? There's very adult content ahead, and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we have a very special Christmas episode, since, well, it's Christmas, (laughs) duh. On a little side note, thank you all for the hot toddy recipes that you sent me from last week. I tried several of them and they were very good, but I'm going to go ahead and call out Miss Linda because hers was fruity and delicious and it had so much alcohol that it knocked me on my ass. And when I finally woke up 17 hours later, you know what? I felt much better and I had my voice back. So thank you all very, very much. I appreciate it. As always, we are going to be playing our drinking game today, but remember the drinking game is only for those of you that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. Sorry, Santa, no eggnog for you. But for my eggnog, how about no egg and definitely no nog? And you know what? Double the bourbon. Yum. All right, now for the game part. Every time I say holiday, that will be a single shot. And every time I say Jesus, that's going to be a double shot. All right, now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma and the real story of Christmas and, you know, the dark history of all its traditions and all that good stuff. History doesn't really record when the first Christmas was celebrated, but it was probably sometime in the 4th century CE in the Roman Empire. What's sure is that the first historic record of the holiday is a calendar dating from 354 CE belonging to a very rich and pompous Roman Christian by the name of Philokalus. That calendar tells us that on the same date, December 25th, another holiday was actually celebrated, marking the birth of Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. That was a new pagan cult that was, you know, all trendy and whatnot back then, worshipping a new sun deity. Both these holidays coincided with the Roman festival of Saturnalia, which had been celebrated from December 17th to December 24th. And it was a festival celebrating the god Saturn, which, as we're about to find out, contributed heavily to Latter-day Christmas traditions. That's right, guys. Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory is correct. 
It's Saturnalia, not the birth of Jesus. Sorry. So then why is it December 25th? Well, scholars differ on why December the 25th was chosen as the birth of Jesus because, well, it really wasn't. So this is your warning, Bible thumpers, because I'm about to piss you off with, well, facts that will, you know, challenge your faith and whatnot. Anyways, Hippolytus, yeah, say that five times fast, still got my bourbon, in the second century was probably the first to propose this actual date. The New Testament doesn't tell us when the birth actually took place, and the only clue that the text gives us And I quote, some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, which is from Luke 2, 8, actually implies that the birth took place in the spring or summer. Because guess what? Sheep would have been kept indoors during a cold winter's night, so they wouldn't have been in the fields. Sorry, people. That date was probably chosen based on the birth date of Sol Invictus, which is marked on the winter solstice when the sun overcomes darkness and the days begin to get longer. And as you know, early Christian symbolism would often liken Jesus with the sun. As Christianity developed, becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire, many pagan traditions were, well, assimilated. This is blatantly clear in the case of Christmas, which took on many of the traditions of Saturnalia, most notably the traditions of gift-giving and merrymaking. When the Germanic tribes adopted Christianity and, by extension, the holiday of Christmas, they contributed to the traditions of the holiday by incorporating aspects of the pagan winter festival Yule into the Christian holiday. Most notably of these are the veneration of evergreens, which would, with time, morph into the Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. Okay, that's enough of that. The traditions of holly and mistletoe decoration, and a wild hunt of flying creatures led by the long-bearded god Odin, who is believed to have been the prototype for, you guessed it, good old Santa Claus. Another aspect that Christmas adopted from the Germanic Yule is heavy drinking. Thank you, Germanic tribes! (laughs) Though this is not associated with Christmas anymore. During the Middle Ages, drinking was a major part of the holiday. (laughs) They obviously haven't spent Christmas with me, have they? (laughs) Anyway, in general, Christmas during the Middle Ages would have been very foreign to a modern-day observer. It was mostly a festival of drinking and revelry, much closer to Saturnalia than our modern Christmas. I say, what's not broke? Let's not fix it. Let's go back to the Middle Ages and drink our asses off. All right. It was during the Middle Ages when the veneration of St. Nicholas, a 3rd to 4th century Greek bishop living in what is today Turkey, developed into the holiday figure of Sinterklaas in the Netherlands. St. Nicholas was said to have given gifts to children and thus was considered the patron saint of school children. According to tradition, Sinterklaas would come from Spain on a steamboat accompanied by a mischievous Moorish helper called Zwarte Pitt. This helper would kidnap bad children and report to Sinterklaas on good children, who would then receive gifts on December the 6th, which was Sinterklaas' feast day. 
Later, during the Reformation, many Netherlanders stopped celebrating the saints' feast days and the gift-giving associated with Sinterklaas migrated from December 6th to Christmas. In the English-speaking world, the Protestant Reformation was even more radical, abolishing not only saint feasts, but going as far as banning Christmas itself. Oh, the horror! In the wake of the English Civil War, Christmas was abolished in 1647, though many outright acts of protest followed, with people defying the Puritans and continuing to celebrate the holiday, albeit in a much less public manner. Even after the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, celebration of Christmas wasn't completely restored to its former glory. Oh, that's when we lost the drinking and the revelry, right? At roughly the same time, the tradition of setting up a tree in one's home and lighting candles began to spread in Germany. The concept spread among European nobility during the 18th and 19th centuries, reaching the lower classes only in the late 19th century. The huge success of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol in 1843 greatly contributed to popularizing Christmas, and it gave it much of the qualities that we associate with it today a holiday centered on the family as opposed as as opposed to a community holiday celebrated in church the book also contributed to the popularity of the phrase merry christmas which appears many times throughout it that very same year the first commercially printed christmas cards were printed and sold bearing that same wish merry christmas meanwhile in 1823 a visit from saint nicholas or that's the poem that's better known as Twas the Night Before Christmas by Clement Clark Moore was published in the United States. This contributed to the spread of Santa Claus, at this point merging the serious Dutch Sinterklaas with the jolly English personification of Christmas known as Father Christmas and gift-giving in the English-speaking world. This emphasis on gifts led merchants and manufacturers to decorate their stores and ads with Christmas themes, hoping it would be their products that would be bought and gifted. By the mid-19th century, people began to complain that the holiday was losing its true meaning in face of commercialization. In 1870, President Ulysses S. Grant signed a law that officially made Christmas a secular federal holiday. This coincided with a mass influx of Eastern European Jewish immigrants into America. Finding shops closed on this day and not celebrating Christmas themselves, they found themselves going to, you guessed it, Chinese restaurants that stayed open because their, or their owners didn't celebrate Christmas either. Moreover, the Chinese restaurants were located nearby as Jewish, Chinese, and other poor immigrants tended to live in the same slums. This is the origin of the Jewish-American tradition of eating at Chinese restaurants on Christmas. And I'm just going to say it, there's nothing better than Chinese food on Christmas. I'm with them. Many of the most popular Christmas carols were written and composed in the 19th century. Silent Night, originally in German in 1818. Oh, Holy Night, originally in French in 1847. Joy to the World, originally in English in 1839. Jingle Bells, also originally in English in 1857, and Deck the Halls, originally in Welsh in 1877, just to name a few. 
These began to be superseded after the advent of the radio and the phonograph by popular Christmas songs, especially during the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Many of these were written by Jews, among them Sleigh Ride, written by Mitchell Parrish, originally Michael Hyman Peschlinski, in 1948, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, was written and composed by Sammy Kahn and Jules Stein in 1945, and Irving Berlin wrote White Christmas, and Johnny Marks wrote both Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Christmas broadcasts began in earnest during the second half of the 20th century, most notably Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life from 1946 and A Charlie Brown Christmas, which first aired in 1965. Little side note, my very first attack attempt at acting was as the little red-haired girl in A Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm not going to tell you what grade school I was in when that happened, though. All right. But of course, there there is the majority of believers out there that will scream at the top of their lungs that the reason for the season is celebrating the birth of Jesus. Oh, peace, goodwill, and tidings of comfort and joy. Yeah, don't believe that crap for a minute. Little baby Jesus, three wise men, and follow that star. That's the Christian meaning of Christmas. Or maybe it's festive shirts, panic-driven spending sprees, drinking far too much, and having that family fight before, you know, watching a movie and going to sleep. Or perhaps Christmas is just none of these things. After all, the celebration does have its roots in distant pre-Christian times, and many of the traditions that we hold so near and dear today have a much darker and more sinister origin. People have been marking the midwinter for far longer than the 2,000-odd years since the birth of Christ, and even that's in doubt anyway. It was only in the year 340 AD that Pope Julius I fixed the date of Jesus' birthday at the 25th of December. So, really, stop. Prior to that, it was marked on at least three different other dates. March the 29th, the January the 6th, and sometime in January, nobody bothered to write it down. Which historians today think is most likely, given that the nativity is meant to have occurred during a census-taking. It was 250 years later that Julius' successor, a few times removed, Pope Gregory, gave the job to St. Augustine of converting the heathen Brits to Christianity. Oh, what I wouldn't do for a heathenistic Brit of my very own. Santa, are you listening? That's my Christmas wish. Fortunately, with the birth of Christ, now established as 25th of December, it gave Augustine a bit of leverage with the population who were already marking several midwinter festivals, ensuring they could take this new-fangled religion on board without losing the annual December debauchery. Because, well, the idea of getting blind drunk at Christmas isn't actually a new idea, thus proving old ideas are some of the best ones. There were two major pre-Christian festivals of note which roughly coincided with Christmas, the Roman Bacchanalia, or Saturnalia, and the Yule Feast of the Norse countries. The Saturnalia began on the 19th of December and lasted for the best part of a week, which sounds about right for those currently enmeshed in the Christmas party rush. Morality and restraint were politely shown the back door, schools were closed, and no criminals were punished. Slaves were allowed to swap places with their masters, and one was elected king for the duration of the festival. And 
the wealthy distributed gifts to the poor. I think we should bring that one back. I think rich people should buy me all kinds of gifts. I'm with that. Preferably shoes. The Roman god Saturn, in whose honor the festival was staged, was no benign Christ figure or benevolent Santa, even though his party was eventually absorbed into Christmas. Ancient astrologers thought being born under the sign of Saturn was bad news. As the god of the harvest, he wielded a vicious scythe and devoured his own children. Well, they do say we eat a lot more at Christmas, don't they? And Christmas roughly coincided with the pre-Christian festival of the Roman Bacchanalia, or Saturnalia. Of course, not many of us celebrate the Saturnalia still today, but vestiges of these old traditions and festivals still remain, and you'll probably have a few of these somewhere around your house right now. For example, take the mistletoe, a parasitical plant that grows on other trees, but which was once thought to have been a fully formed tree in its own right, and which provided the wood from which Christ's cross was made. Going back even further, Norse mythology tells us of the god Baldr, who was killed by an arrow made of mistletoe. I've actually heard that story before, and you know what? Loki comes out really good in it. I'm just going to say. Anyways... But we mostly associate the plant with the ancient drunks. I mean, oops, sorry, the druids of jolly old England. Yeah, that was a parenthetical slip. Sorry. We associate it with the druids of jolly old England, who, legend says, valued it so much they would cut it from the oak trees that it grew with, with a golden sickle and catch it in a cloak or robe before it would even hit the ground. For if it did, it would lose its very special powers, and the drunks, I mean the druids, were rumored to use in medicine and rituals. It used to be said that the mistletoe was banned in churches because of its pagan associations, though York Minster, which itself has ancient links to the Vikings, used to hold a special mistletoe service where the city's wrongdoers could beg the pardon of the church. Yeah, I'm kind of a, you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission kind of girl, but that's my point. Anyways, from mistletoe to the holly and the ivy, two Christmas staples. But be careful with them, for they reek of danger. And I'm not just talking about pricking your finger either. According to old customs, holly should never be brought into your house before Christmas Eve, or bad luck will result. And you all know that your Christmas decorations should be taken down by Twelfth Night or the 6th of January. Hey, isn't that one of Christ's early birthday days? Yeah, it is. But Old English tradition says you shouldn't just throw Christmas greenery out the door or a death will occur in your house before the following Yuletide. Now, of course, these customs were, you know, developed long before the advent of a recycling bin. Of course, so you might be able to circumvent them, you know, using the recycling bin, but whatever. But perhaps a safer bet is to store holly and ivy in the house until next year. Apparently, this is a surefire way of preventing a lightning strike on your home. Yeah, I wouldn't put much faith in that. Sorry, guys. Perhaps you could save a sprig of holly to stick on top of the Christmas pudding. Like what you see on every Christmas card, but have never actually really seen in real life. But while you're doing that, remember that the making of the Christmas pudding is steeped in folklore as well. It was once thought to be lucky to partake in the act of making the pudding, especially if the pudding was stirred east to west. And why is that? 
you know I know. Laterally, because the three wise men traveled in that direction to pay homage to the Christ child. But in days far before that, because that was the trajectory of the sun god, a deity whose birthday was celebrated on the 25th of December. So far, you've done everything right to ensure a trouble-free Christmas. Just Christmas Eve and the big day to get through in your home and safe. Might be worth firing up a Yule log, burned according to the ancient traditions of tree worship. Though, as ever, take care. Should the blazing log cast shadows which appear to be headless, then you can guarantee you'll see a death over the coming year. Well, Christmas sure does have a lot to do with death. Am I the only one that's catching that? Anyways... And Christmas Eve is traditionally a time for restless spirits to walk the earth. Something old Ebenezer Scrooge and Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol knows only all too well. Should you be brave enough, legend has it that if you venture into a graveyard on Christmas Eve and dig a hole, then you'll find gold. But be careful getting there. On that night, cattle are said to kneel down and speak in human voices. Oh shit, I want to see that. All right, anyways, and those leaving church on Christmas Eve while the consecration is still going on are guaranteed to witness a procession of ghosts wending their way through the streets. Yeah, I think that's just the church's way of getting the asses in the pews. I'm not buying that one either. Speaking of supernatural beings aboard on abroad on Christmas Eve, what about the big man himself? Yes, I'm talking about sexy old Father Christmas, Santa, St. Nick, you know him. Why do we hang a stocking out for him? Well, because according to legend, St. Nicholas heard about three sisters who were forced into a life of prostitution to earn enough money to eat. So he tossed three coins down their chimney to help them out, which landed in the girls' stockings drying on the hearth. Now, wait a minute. Is this why Santa says ho, ho, ho? Okay, that one just blew my mind. I'm loving it. Alright, Father Christmas, as a jolly old man with a white beard, was indeed thought to be based on St. Nicholas, who can be traced back to Asia Minor in about 350 AD, you know, around the time that Pope Julius was fixing the date of Jesus' birth. And somewhere along the way, he got mashed up with other folklore characters, including Chris Kringle from 19th century German tradition, And the magazine Harper's Weekly published what's thought to be the first illustration depicting modern Santa in the 1860s. Though he originally wore green robes and had associations with the green man of legend who ruled the woods and forests in pagan belief. Now it's often said that Coca-Cola invented the Santa we know and love today, swapping his traditional green livery for the red of Coke's branding. But though the company did debut ads featuring Father Christmas enjoying a Coke and a smile in 1931, of course that's when it still had the cocaine in it, he had been seen in his more familiar red once or twice before then. There is of course a dark side to Father Christmas, as we all learned last week, and that would be that crazy guy called Krampus, who variously Santa's little evil helper or his ancient enemy, whichever one you choose. Whereas Santa rewards good children, Krampus plays the bad cop to the big red guy's good cop and punishes bad kids, especially in areas of Eastern Europe. And he's kind of a cool dude. I like him. Still, we've always got the Christmas tree, right? Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. There we go back to it. Nothing sinister about that, is there? 
After all, we didn't really have them over here until Queen Victoria and Prince Albert popularized them in 1840. But perhaps we can bring the ancient mythology story of the goddess Sebel and the mortal Attis into this. Because Sebel desired Attis, as the gods often did, regardless of the mortal's wishes, because we're mortals and they're gods. But Attis had set his cap at the daughter of a local king. Rather displeased, Sebel sent Attis mad, and he ran in a crazy rage through the mountains, eventually, and for reasons best known only to himself, castrating himself at the foot of a pine tree. Yeah, that's a really dark story. <laughs> Just saying, guys, sorry about that one. And in recent years, Christmas has become a battleground for the opponents of the separation of church and state, who oppose the public endorsement of the Christian holiday by government and public companies and conservative Christians who believe a war on Christmas is being waged. The liberals claiming the worship of Jesus shouldn't be forced on them, and the conservatives claiming that their right to worship freely is being infringed upon. I don't care as long as I get a day off, just shut the hell up. But if the Protestant Reformation, with all its power, couldn't manage to stamp out the holiday spirit, grousing in the op-ed section of the press isn't likely going to make it happen either, so deal with it. And with that, I want to wish all my little heathens out there a very happy Saturnalia, a raucous Yule time, a happy Hanukkah, festive Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, and lastly, a happy holiday season. May you get the gift you most deserve and need this year. And my gift to each and every one of you, love and light, my darlings. May the new year bring us all love, light, understanding, and joy. Good night, my darlings. Don't stay up too late or Santa won't come and give you your holiday spanking. And with that, we've come to the end of the episode, and I thank you again for joining me here today. I hope you take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can reach the show always at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have suggestions for future shows or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line because I do respond to every single email. And by the way, keep those drink recipes coming because they're fabulous. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time, my heathens. Merry Christmas. I love you all. Mwah! And to all, a good night. Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.